and welcome to Coward's Fury. I'm Charles. And I'm Chris. And tonight we wanted to give a special shout out to Carol. Carol, thanks for the email. Got a suggestion from Carol, so we're going to look into that one. And uh, when and if we write it, I will make sure that we give her a second shout out to say thanks. Yeah, that was kind of a, a really exciting intro. But Carol wrote a really long email, mm-hmm. so I don't know. I, Carol, if you're real, awesome. If you're a creeper, well. <laughs> no, thanks, too, because we still need people. So Yeah, pr- appreciate that, Carol. So uh, Carol said she is our biggest fan, and she likes the book, The Secret Garden. Yes, she did say that, which was a little the, bit frightening. This is a lot of words. So, Carol, thank you. We, we kind of skimmed. We think we know what you meant. Yep, and, and we love you for it. We appreciate you. Carol, right. keep keeping it real. Keep keeping it real. And, so, you know, maybe consider supporting us through Patreon or Bubsprout. Jeez, I'm on a roll already. Buzzsprout. We'll post the links in the show notes. And don't forget, everyone, including Carol, share us with your friends, your enemies, your frenemies, all of the amies. So tonight, we're going to talk about Melvin. Melvin Stella. How do we rhyme that? I don't know, but I, I'm sure you'll come up with something before halfway through the episode. So So just just if it's not obvious, I don't I don't really research and or read these. It's all reactive. Yep. So I wish I was wittier. Uh you're doing all right. I was gonna say like Delvin Melvin. <laughs> which doesn't mean anything at all. I don't know. Well, you know, let's get into the episode. Usually you find something to hang your hat on. Let's go. His name's Melvin Davis Reese, was born in 1928. There's not a lot that's known about his early years. Some sources say that he may have been born in the UK and as an unwanted child was sent to the US to live, but this has not been substantiated and most people feel he was actually born here in the US. He eventually graduated from Hyattsville High School in Maryland in 1946, after which he joined the Army as a military musician and served in England. He was then discharged from the Army in 1953, so he's a musician. Reese briefly attended the University of Maryland after his military service, but he never finished his degree. He was a very talented musician and wanted to kind of get out there and like ply his craft early on, so he played piano, saxophone, and clarinet. Those were his three main instruments. Reese wow, was... he excel Melvin ex- excels in <laughs> music. I'm not sure that's a great nickname. Melvin's selling music. I don't know about Melvin Selvin. Melvin. There's bells and Melvin. No. Oh God, we're gonna, this is gonna be a tougher one for you. <laughs> it's really hard to rhyme it. This one's a harder one, but you don't always do rhymes. Sometimes you do. He's like a bad person. He's not a good person. No, he's not. Anyway, so Reese was, he was tall. He was just here, here in Helen when you're with Melvin. Oh my God. No, All no, right. no. Moving on. Hey, moving on. He was tall. He was just above six feet. He had dark hair. Uh, he was reported by the commercial appeal in an article from 1960 that Reese had married a woman named Elaine Rachmaninoff, who had been a fellow UHC student in 1954 with whom he'd had a child. And I actually did find that reference in two places. Oh, yeah? But that was a little bit hard to find. A lot of articles did not reference that he had been married or had a child at all. That marriage, according to the commercial appeal, would last five years. 
and their son's name was Philip. Is like the commercial appeal like the Encyclopedia Britannica of serial killer research? No, there are some websites that are, but no, the commercial appeal was um, actually a newspaper and they have an archive site where you can go back and look at newspapers, I think back to the early 1800s. so excited. This is the rabbit, these these are the rabbit holes I go down. (laughs) Our biggest fan, Carol, appreciates the rabbit (laughs) holes. Thank you, Carol. Those who had met Reese at UHC would say that he was a mild-mannered and sort of generally normal guy. I don't think they're going to say that. They were wrong. <laughs> they were wrong. I don't even know anything. I don't, I don't know anything. I don't know any more than anyone else out there, but everyone, they were wrong. Yeah, nobody really knows what's going on in somebody else's head, right? So keep in mind that the 50s were no stranger to killers and serial killers. So in 1957, you had Ed Gein, who was arrested not just for murder, but pres- for preserving skin and body parts uh, as furniture and clothing as some sort of like a twisted show of love towards his mother yeah he puts the lotion on it uh that's part of part of that yeah that's that's where it came from part of buffalo bill cody's character came from ed gein absolutely also you had charles starkweather and carol ann fugit whose episode we did not that long ago not the lady who oh she's still alive that could oh my gosh i could she like lives in ohio in some like yes small like rural the rural word. Extremely rural. That word's going to come up again. It's going to say like, right, you can't, right, hide, so they were can't this, hide the redneck with hair. You can't, you know, right? So, so maybe that's Carol. No. Maybe that's our fan. Oh, yep. yeah. Maybe Carol's our fan. All right. Carol Ann, if you're out there listening. Well, thanks. We love If that it. was you, yeah. right, with a weird like Yahoo account, kind of. Could have been. Maybe she liked how we pronounced her last name because we did fancy it, it up a little European. bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, right, so no, 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 no stranger to uh, serial killers. Right, so Starkweather, he, I mean, in 1958, he left th- 11 dead, and I think what what was the span, 60 days or something? Yeah, he was crazy. Then there was also Harvey Glattman, who would be arrested for murdering three by posing as a photographer, so he could trick women into tying them up before he had his way with them and murdering them. I hate that guy. I hate him because his pictures of these women are out all over the internet for people to see. And just the, the looks on these women's faces is terrible, awful fear, you know, before he murders them. I fucking hate it. And Reese, too, would take his place amongst these monsters. Reese was first arrested in 1955 after an incident where Reese tried to get a woman into his car. And when she refused and resisted, he attempted to force her. But she got away. She ran to the police, but then she ended up tr- choosing not to file charges, so the case was dropped. Hmm. But that's not going to thwart good old Reese. Margaret Harold was out for a drive with her hunky U.S. Army sergeant boyfriend during a week uh, weekend of leave that he had. They were driving near Annapolis, Maryland on June 26, 1957. Like, all of a sudden, kind of out of the blue, a green Chrysler appeared and forced... so. You're going to hear me talk about a green Chrysler and a green Ford and maybe a blue one. I'm not sure if they were all the same car. They could have been because the time frames were pretty close together. But green seems to be the most common color. But it could have been a Chrysler. could have been a Ford. Anyway, it appeared and basically forced the couple off the road. The man approached the couple, gesturing to, like, roll down the window. Okay, so this is really funny. Roll down the window. You know you know the universal sign for people our age is to, like, do the roll down the window sign where you right. crank the window? People who didn't grow up with kids manual don't know, windows. Kids don't know what that means. <laughs> they do the, like, where your hand is, like, perpendicular to the, um, or parallel to the ground, and they, like, push it down. <laughs> right. 
because <laughs> it's all anyway sorry that just brought back a memory for me at this point i mean we know now that it was reese but he basically he was brandishing a nickel plated 38 caliber gun handgun he helped himself to the back seat of the car so he's like i'm just gonna kind of scoot in here to the back seat <sighs> give me some cigarettes and give me some money that's but, it mm-hmm. cigarettes and money Right, but Margaret and her sergeant boyfriend refused. So Reese basically grabbed the back of Margaret's head by her hair and kind of yanked it back against the seat, again demanding money. Margaret told sergeant boyfriend to give the man nothing. So Reese, without even like a moment's hesitation, grabs his gun and shoots her point blank in the face, killing her. Horrified and realizing there was nothing he could do for Margaret, the sergeant boyfriend ran. He ran through several fields and finally found himself at a farmhouse where he was able to call police. Once the police were called and an investigation started, they found poor Margaret back at the car. Reese had pulled off her clothes and had sex with her lifeless body uh, before abandoning her there, completely exposed. Yeah. Shithead. Okay. I'm sorry, SH. We do acronyms here. Right. He had sex with a lifeless body. That's a lot to... uh... Yeah, okay. Yeah, he's a necrophile. Yeah. Police also found an abandoned cider block structure in the area. Um, When they searched it, they found violent pornographic content, as well as (laughs) uh, autopsy photos of dead women. So that's what got this guy off. They also found a picture of a, a live woman, that of Wanda Tipton. Police knew they wanted to talk to her, and so they did find her. Unfortunately, not much would come from that conversation, Tipton told police that she didn't know a dark-haired man that fit the description that Margaret's boyfriend had supplied. But it was... Interesting. Yeah. Well, it would later be discovered that not only did Tipton know Reese, they had dated for a time, but when she found out that he was married, either because he told her or she figured it out, I don't know, she broke things off with him. And that's not to say that what's about to happen could have been prevented if Tipton had been honest about knowing Reese. But it goes back to the whole thing we've said before in other episodes. If you think you know something or you see something, you say something. Because about a year and a half later, disaster would strike the Jackson family. So this is not going to be good. Because about a year and a half later, disaster would strike the Jackson family. All four Jacksons, mom, dad, a five-year-old, and an 18-month-old, that's awful, disappeared on January 11th, 1959. No one knew what had happened to them. They had attended like a family reunion uh, near Falls Church, Virginia, when a relative of theirs who had also been at that reunion came up upon their abandoned car, which was a 1958 Chevy sedan. She called the police suspecting something bad had happened as the mom, her name was Mildred, her purse, some baby bottles and baby dolls were still in the car and the keys, Carol, that's the dad, his keys were still in the ignition. A huge search of the area turned up nothing. It was still a rural area. I told you that word was going to come up again. Still, it was still a rural area. It was still a rural, rural area. Rural. Yeah. So it was like six years away from seeing its first interstate highway. So there you There's go. There's nothing around. Right. These were yeah. out of the way roads. So it was baffling. The Jacksons were just out for like, they were just your average American family. No enemies. Out to see their own family. And no one would do anything to harm these people. So about two months after the Jacksons disappeared on March 4th, 1959, two men, James Beach and John Scott, are those not the most like benign yeah. sounding names you've ever they heard? They are. 
Right. So they were riding in a car near Fredericksburg, James Virginia. and John. Like, it's not even like James, like, Woba Shockton. It's like James Beach. Jimmy and, and John. John Scott. <laughs> Jimmy and Johnny are riding in a car. Near Fredericksburg. And they got stuck in the mud. They did. Oh, does everyone get stuck in the freaking mud? I'll tell you why, because there's no road. Like, uh, yes. they're like these tiny little roads. Yep. Gravel facts. So they left their vehicle so they could find some, like, brush to put underneath the wheels to get some purchase on the slippery ground. Right. When they came across a gruesome scene. So here's here it is, right? In a ditch, they saw a man. He had, like, a ligature binding on his hands, and he had clearly been dead for, you know, a few minutes. They ran back to their car, like, clearly more determined than ever to get the vehicle they free. They managed to get it free. <laughs> they did. And they went straight to the police with what they'd seen. Facts. When police arrived, they were able to clearly see that the man had been shot in the back of the head. But when they removed him, they made another more horrific discovery. Beneath his body lay the body of an 18-month-old baby. So the autopsy would reveal that the baby had been tossed in the ditch first, still alive, her father's body being dumped on top of hers, suffocating her to death. Mm, yeah. Yuck. Okay. That's super yuck. The bodies were identified in short order as that of Carol and Janet Jackson. Not like... Miss Jackson? Right. Or Michael Jackson's sister. Yeah. Yes. This oh, Janet, it's not? No. Oh. No, no, no. Oh. This Janet Jackson deserves... Janet Jackson's still alive. I was worried. I know. This Janet Jackson deserves her own little place okay. in history. All right. The remaining Jacksons, Mildred and Susan, would not be located until March 21st, more than two weeks after father and baby. So two boys were out squirrel hunting, because that's what boys do. And they saw an area deep in the woods that looked like it had been recently dug up. So boys are very curious. So they're like, let's go over and have a closer look. Let's do it. So they went over, they bent down and moved some of the dirt away, like, aside, and they saw a little bit of a flash of something that didn't look like it belonged there. Right. And a bit of a closer look would reveal the blonde hair of Susan Jackson. The boys ran home to tell their parents, as good boys should, who called the police. So the police got there, they removed Susan, and so that's the little girl, and that's the five-year-old, and then they found Mildred, the mom, underneath Susan. Both were taken for autopsies. Autopsies revealed the true depravity of what had happened. Both had been sexually assaulted, but Mildred, Mildred the mom, suffered the freaking worst of it. She'd been forced by the perpetrator into what they assume is an oral assault by way of, like, she had a stocking tied around her neck, so he fashioned some kind of, like, a collar, maybe, or a, a noose-type device and forced her to do whatever it was he forced her to do. Okay. So she'd been tortured, and then in the end, she'd been bludgeoned. The autopsy could not tell if she died from blunt force trauma or asphyxiation from strangulation, as she was a little bit too decomposed to determine that. Susan had definitely died from blunt force trauma, um, likely by the butt of a gun based on um, the wound patterns that they could see. Gross. So gross. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's disturbing. That's pretty disturbing. It's awful. So police would comb through the area looking for any clues. They found the cinder block building that they... So there's some um, discrepancy about some of what happens here. But in some accounts, they found the same cinder block building that they had already known about from the Margaret Harold investigation. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and then in differing accounts, it was a different building that was more of like a shack. 
But either way, whatever building it was, they found a red button that matched the ones on Mildred's dress, and one of her buttons had been missing from her dress, and they found that button inside that structure. She was there at one point. She was there. It linked her to that building, whatever that structure was. Uh, So she had actually been taken there, and she was tortured and sexually assaulted before being murdered. After this, given the relatively close proximity to each other, and the brutality with which the crimes were committed, authorities connected the two, which back in this day is actually pretty good because a lot of times they didn't connect it for a long time. Sure. And so they told the media that the same person committed both of the, both the Jackson murders and the Margaret Harrell murder. So the press are going to have a fucking field day. This is like 1960, right? 1959. No, 19, or late 1950s. Okay, yeah. Yeah. The point is, is yeah. Yeah. Again, it's pretty good for that time frame because a lot of times at this point in time, they did not connect murders. Okay, so after all this happened, and this was kind of out there in the news, Mr. And Ms., a couple named Mr. and Mrs. Keith Waldrop came forward to tell police of their own close encounter. So they told authorities that the same night as the Jacksons went missing back on January 11th, around 7.30 p.m., so mind you, the Jacksons were assumed to have gone missing between 7.30 and 10, or I'm sorry, 9.30 and 10, because they left their family gathering right around 9.30. So about two hours earlier than that, a man nearly drove the mm-hmm. Waldrops off the road in his green The green Ford. Ford. You yeah. see where Chevy Ford comes in here? Not yeah. sure which one it is. So they, they actually were feeling kind of scared about the man that they saw, like didn't seem right to them. So Keith Waldrop, he was actually able to pull around the Ford to get away from the man before anything could happen. So given what he'd read, he assumed that it was the same man that, you know, took the Jacksons. So in his mind, he's thinking like, whoa, we escaped a close one. And the Jacksons ended up being the victims. Right. But it gets even weirder after that. So self-proclaimed psychic Peter Herkos entered the scene. Herkos was a Dutchman who had taken a fall from a ladder when he was about 30 years old, he hit his head and landed in a coma. So it'd have been good if he was psychic when that happened, then he wouldn't have gotten on the ladder. I know, right? But but he was psychic when he awoke. Ah. He had two minds, one normal and one psychic. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, so he came to the U.S. and began his career as a psychic entertainer. Yes, he did. And actually, he did, and and, and so back oh, in the... that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did the Manson murders. He did. So he assisted or attempted to assist on both the Manson murders and the Boston Strangler case, but mostly he just sort of like hobnobbed with celebrities and got on TV and like he did that whole shtick. So he did visit the grave sites of the Jacksons and handled some of their belongings because it was said that that was how he would connect with the dead. Right. And be able to make predictions. He also went to the site where um, Harold was murdered, finding a piece of cloth that had been snagged off of her dress. He confirmed physically. No, no. He confirmed psychically. He confirmed psychically that the same person committed the murders. And that they would be solved within two weeks. And that the perpetrator would ultimately be indicted on nine murders. did, Did that all happen? Well, let's find out. Because I'm going to go over it. This Dutchman's all right. Well, you can go out there and you can Google him. His original name is not Herkos. It's different than that. It's interesting to read 
some of the stuff that he did. He's just one of those people that was really, really good at doing cold readings, right? He could determine from your body language if he hit a nerve or not. Anyway, it's it's fascinating stuff. I don't believe in psychics, but I actually think they're really good at reading your reactions and, and what is hitting right. a note with you. There you go. Since police declared that the murderer was the same in both cases, that meant that the perpetrator had crossed state lines. So as we all know, that means that the FBI can now join in on the investigation. And they actually already had their sights on Melvin Who needs Reese. a psychic when the FBI have their sights on Reese? Yeah. So you see, after the murders, someone had come forward. Well, I mean, kind of. The police had received an anonymous letter that told them of the anonymous letter writer's suspicions of his friend Melvin Reese. So he would later be identified as Glenn Moser of Norfolk, Virginia. Oh, Glenn. Oh, Glenn. We'll, we'll know why he later came forward, like, for real. He wrote to tell the police that he suspected his friend Melvin Davis Reese may be up to no good. Hey, my buddy might be up to no good. So this was based on the many sort of, like, odd and inappropriate comments that Reese would make. It was reported that Reese said, quote, You can't say it's wrong to kill. Only individual standards make it right or wrong. During this time in history, just to give you a little bit of context, a sort of Nietzschean philosophy became popular, oftentimes referred to as situational ethics. In other words, you are what you do, and only you make it right or wrong, based upon your perception of reality and the world. That's a cop-out, let's be clear. But some would call it transcendentalism later on. We could do 15 episodes on that. I'm not going to, but we could. Because I went into a rabbit hole in that and probably wasted an hour and a half. It's a good research, so you could say it's Nietzschean philosophy. Nietzschean. I was trying to be funny. You did good. Real good. But you made fun of me. I am. That was good research, so we could do Nietzschean philosophy. Excellent. You have actually a really good like radio voice. I don't. Well, Carol thinks so. Carol does. She, she has may, a little she may like, be the, thing may, for you. She may be the only one. <laughs> Her secret garden's code word. Right. For something rural and creepy. Um, Maybe so. Come see my creepy garden. Okay, but she's a supporter-ish. I, I, that was all respect. All respect. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give Reese any respect, though. Because, you know, he was like a benzedrine addict. So ben- what, is, what does that mean? <laughs> so benzedrine um, I'm is... I'm an addict. Benzedrine. Whatever. What, Benz- is, what the fuck is benzedrine? It's a synthesized stimulant that was used as a decongestant from the 1930s oh to God. the 1960s. So think like a precursor to pseudofed, like pseudofedrine. I was thinking it's a precursor to meth. Uh, yes, actually. That'd be yes. correct. That'd be correct. Pre-meth. It is pre-math. So even Sudafed, so the reason you can't go to like the drugstore and just buy Sudafedrin anymore is, yeah. and you have to sign out for it is because it is an ingredient in, in math. You know, I've watched Breaking Bad. I know. Do you? Okay. Thank you. We're not going to go over the chemical compounds. It's, it's that. It is that. It, so it was also actually used, Benzedrine was also used in World War II to combat fatigue in their troops. They just drug the shit out of these people. Oh my gosh. People. 
I gotta get some of that. Yeah. So pulling an all nighter. Well, going you, to work, baby. Yeah. So, but give me the Benzedrine. Yeah. I gotta sell typewriters tomorrow. I gotta sell typewriters. So they did in the fifties, right? In sixties. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Basically, Reese would take a bunch of Benzedrine and like not sleep for days because it causes hallucinations. Right? Like it's just another way to get to that high. And he would have these philosophical conversations with his buddy, Glenn Moser. And he yeah. would tell him things like he considered murder just to be a part of the human condition. And that he, quote, craved every intense experience from love to death. So, again, we can go on all day about existentialism. I'm having some struggles tonight. Existentialism. Exist- oh, my fucking God. We can go on all day. <laughs> about- but this dude was crazy as shit. Yeah. But we're not going to because no. his psyche was messed up. Yeah. But it Benzedrine. just. Benzedrine. We already talked about it. Yeah. It played a part in all this. Moser later confronted Reese after the Jacksons' disappearance, like straight out just asking him, like, did you do this? Yeah. Moser told police in his letter that Reese admitted nothing, uh, but also never denied it and kind of acted like really cagey. Isn't it crazy? Hey, 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 buddy, did you, did you kill people? You know, you know. Yeah, I, hey, why are you coming at me like that, bro? Let's go to Jimmy John's. Jimmy John's. Like, it was the 50s. They were like, let's go to Mel's Diner. Mel's Diner. Let's get a He's like, no, no. Boxcar. Listen, listen, bro. Did you, like, kill these people? And he's like, look, murder's in the eye of the holder. Let's just go get a cheeseburger and talk about murder later. Right. You know, I've been up for nine days. I need a cheeseburger. Actually, you're not far off from the truth. Okay. So right, I'm, I'm a psychic, just like the Dutch man. <laughs> right, <laughs> you are. So Moser said that he and Reese were salesmen in the area at the time of the murder of Margaret Harold. Police found the letter compelling and credible enough to actually investigate it. Now remember, they didn't know who this was at the time, but they hit dead ends at just about every turn. But this is where they came across a woman named Wanda Tipton. Wanda. Wanda. Like a fish called Wanda? That's a good movie. Right. Anyway, they learned that Reese had attended the University of Maryland for a time and then he had dated Wanda. They figured out that Wanda had uh, been spoken to after Harold's murder um, and they felt that this was, they were like onto something. So they revisited the address that Moser had given them that Reese had lived at, but they got stuck and nothing happened. Like he had moved on. And... Again, as we know, when they talked to Wanda, she originally was like, I don't know this guy. And so she denied knowing him for actually quite some time. But, you know, not all of this is going to be lost. So Reese, uh, being the friend that he is, after he moved away and did his own thing for a little bit, reached out to Moser. Remember, this is the anonymous guy. Right. He said... Hey, I'm living in Hyattsville, Arkansas, with this actress and topless dancer named Pat Barrington. Yeah. And working as a piano salesman. She's, she's a dancer. She actually was. She was in several pornographic-y movies. You can look her up. She definitely was a hot babe. Uh, and she did topless dance. Oh, uh, like, until she was, like, in her 50s, I think. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, kind of impressive, actually. Yeah, actually, when, so when he wrote his buddy Moser... He even left an address and told him where he was working. So given how disappointed Moser was that his earlier letter to police hadn't panned out like and led them to where Reese was, he knew he'd have to reach out once again. And so he did. 
But this time, Moser would go to the police station himself and hand the letter directly to authorities. And since the FBI could now be involved, remember, they went to Arkansas. Right. They found Reese at his job and arrested him on the spot. They also brought Margaret Harold's old boyfriend, hunky army ser- sergeant, in so that he could participate in a lineup to see if he could pick out the man who'd shot and killed his girlfriend. All right. And he did. No problem. Melvin Reese. At this point, they had enough, clearly, for a search warrant of Reese's apartment. They looked through everything until they found what was needed. Inside a saxophone case, because if you're a musician, where are you going to store the shit you don't want people to see? Oh, clearly. In your instrument case, because no one's going to touch your instrument. That's like an extension of your body. Well, they found a thirty-eight caliber gun Ah. that he'd hidden inside. That was the same type of gun used in the murders. But that wasn't all, because as we always say with these creepos, there's always more. Definitely. Reese had lay it on me. So he also (laughs) dumbass. He also kept a diary or like a journal of sorts in the papers, and they were like loose papers. It wasn't like an actual diary or journal. It was like papers yeah it was just it was a mess yeah so he reese actually detailed out like sexually sadistic like prose i guess i don't know but it didn't help his image then as close to a confession as one can get they read about in his papers killing a man and a baby and how the mother and daughter were quote all mine now that the others were dead oh, bingo yeah, it lines up. It definitely does. So all of this plus the um, the lineup identification by the sergeant boyfriend made for a very nice stack of evidence against Reese. Of course, the inevitable frenzy of media coverage descended on the case, and they dubbed Reese... Um, Reese the Peace. <laughs> that, no. drove a, that drove a Chevy Caprice. Oh, that was pretty good. But no. Uh-huh. No. Wait, did they have Caprices then? No, I don't know. Oh. Probably not. I was just Ford Chevy. Oh. No. Do you, do you want to know? Yeah, I, I, if I couldn't guess it. You know who wants to know? All our listeners. Yeah, they called him. Carol. Including Carol. Carol? I'm, I'm still here for you, Carol. They called him the Sex Beast. Oh. Maybe not. That's the dumbest name, actually. The Sex Beast. Yeah. Stupid. Anyway. Reese, it doesn't even rhyme. No, it doesn't Aren't even reporters make... supposed to rhyme so that it's catchy? Uh, yes, like, do something. Reese, the Sex Beast. Some of, some of these, like, serial killer, like, names that the press have come up with like have Reese's been terrible. Reese's Pieces, Reese the Peace. Reese the Peace. I kind of like that, actually. But whatever. Like Either way. a piece of work. It was a dumb name. Facts. But with all the publicity also came the possibility that additional crimes, or even murders, could be pinned on Reese. And that's exactly what happened. Reese was suspected, but never charged, in the murders of Mary Chomet, 16, Anne Ryan, 14, Mary Fellers, 18, and Shelby Venable, 16. It would be later, so I want to remind you that the psychic said that he would be indicted for nine. Yes. So if you did the, the five... Dutch, it's, he's the Dutchman. <laughs> the Dutchman, exactly. So if you did the five plus these four, that would be nine. 
but he did not get indicted for nine. He got indicted for five. So really, this guy just made numbers up and just hoped that they made sense. Pretty much. Yeah, it's just that's just yeah. coincidence. So it would later be said that Reese confessed to a journalist that he was in fact guilty of Margaret's murder and the Jacksons' murders, and the Fellers and Venable murders, but not the Schumet and Ryan murders. Uh, and that's sort of how things would would end out. Now, he would never be charged for any of those last four. He was only going to be charged for the five. Right. So Reese was tried in February of 1961 for the murder of Margaret Harold. This trial would be held in Baltimore, and given the eyewitness testimony of Margaret's former boyfriend and the gun that matched the bullet that was used to kill Margaret, Reese was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. He was then extradited to Virginia. This trial would occur that very September, so same year, 61, where Reese was charged for first-degree murder of the Jackson, the entire Jackson family, so four, four people. This is where his diary would come in handy for the prosecution, and he was convicted and sentenced to death in about 45 minutes. Pretty quick. That's pretty quick. To kind of follow up, because I really don't care about this person, he was given psychiatric reviews. He was given appeals, all this shit. In the end, he actually didn't want his final appeal. He said he'd found God. He was actually diagnosed with schizophrenia. He had gone pretty physically downhill. He died of heart failure in 1995. Oh, he was in prison for like 33 or 34 years. Yeah, he was. Um, and, and he was convicted and sentenced to death. He was. His, so his death wow. sentence was commuted. Virginia, you guys suck. No, 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 no. The entire country had a death commutation in 1972. Yeah, that's not cool. To test well, maybe the, it is. No, it depends it how you... test the constitutionality of the death penalty. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He killed like little kids. So we actually talked about this, and we yeah, touched we on did. it in Fine. a former episode where we're like, oh, the reinstitution right. of the well, death this, penalty. He was a bad person. He, he was a terrible person. Like, met old, yeah, he should have met old Sparky. Yeah, maybe. You know, the no, guy... No, 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 I think he should have. The guy definitely had some mental he health. He did bad things to he little kids. He did very bad things. And to people. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like it either. I don't like this guy at all. You I, know, I hear I hear. You. He was in the legal system. He did his thing, and basically he denied himself his final appeal because he knew he was such a piece of shit. And, and he did have mental health. He, he was schizophrenic, and he basically... So he would tell this reporter that he told that he had killed these two young women on top of the ones he was convicted for. Right. He was like, I was on this this benzidine stuff, and I was up for five days. I hadn't slept. It was like I wasn't myself. I was, like, seeing things from the outside. And it's like, you know, okay, but you chose to take that drug. You chose to do the things that you did. Those were choices you make. And he died saying, I found God, and I apologize, and I can't do anything to fix what I did. I don't know how I feel about that. There is a uh, musical group called General Surgery, and they wrote a song about this man called Crimson Concerto. And I did look that up. It is real. And I'm not going to tell you my opinion about the song. Go, they don't, don't know how to write songs. Just don't songs go, like, just don't go look it up. Reese, you're not deceased. You're just a piece of grease. And now your life has ceased. Wow. See, that's like how you rhyme and rap. You need some beatbox with that. I can beatbox, but not for this episode. All right. That's all I got. All right. 
So now I'm just going to release. Drop the mic. (laughs) That was good. Well placed. All right. That'll do it. That'll do it. So this guy, this Reese guy, not a lot. There's been a few podcasts or, I don't know, media type of attention paid to this particular guy. But not like a lot of these other guys that have done even maybe less stuff than this guy. Yeah, this guy's terrible. I don't know why. I don't know why. That's why why we do what we do. So thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Hope you'll consider supporting us. Yeah, shoot us a note. Yeah, and send us an email. We'll give you a shout out. We've had a few. I'd like to have a few more. Yeah, we're going to keep shouting out. We're going to do it. We're going to keep shouting out every time we get an email. And especially when we get supporters. And maybe a freaking sponsor or two would be also awesome. We got sponsors. We no. just we just haven't found them yet. We just <laughs> we're So until then, peace. <laughs> <laughs>